Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate at one point you'd have tammy and dom as your center backs and i'd be which is a funny concept looking at it now it was always there by you, and I think Chelsea always encouraged that. You're listening to the King's Road Podcast, the pod that takes you on a journey exploring every facet of Chelsea Football Club, from the club's philosophy to why the club plays in World Blue, with your host, Joe Tweets. Hello everyone, and welcome back for another stroll along the King's Road. This is your host, Joe Tweets, and before we get into today's show, I wanted to extend a very warm thank you to everyone who listened and provided feedback on the first episode. I was overwhelmed really with the positivity and the response. So again, a very, very sincere thank you to everyone who has listened and of course to those of you who are listening today. In today's episode, we have the first half of a two-parter dropping. I was very fortunate to be able to speak with Ruben Samut, Chelsea Academy graduate, who is currently playing for Dulwich Hamlet FC as well as acting part-time as an Academy scout for Chelsea and also acting as a scout for Charlton. Now, I was able to spend a good two hours with Ruben chatting about everything to do with the Chelsea Academy machine. What you're going to listen to today is the first half of this conversation, and I think it's fair to say that Ruben has some very unique insights when it comes to the inner workings of this machine, pretty much because he's just come through the system himself. Giving you insight into the journey from being signed as a kid to Chelsea's aftercare once he moved on, please kick back and enjoy this fascinating conversation, as I think Ruben takes you behind the curtain in a way that I personally haven't seen anyone do before. Hey guys, yeah, welcome back to the King's Road podcast. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Ruben Samit this evening, uh, ex-Chelsea Academy player, currently at Dulwich Hamlets, um, taking a very, I think, interesting uh, career path at the moment in terms of his his journey in football. And what we'll be looking at certainly over the next uh, period of time is, I think, both his journey in terms of being at Chelsea's Academy, but also looking at sort of academy football and the academy development in general getting his opinions and getting his perspective um, from somebody who has been at the club, I think since an under eight um, until sort of, you know, uh, later on in his career when he was uh, sort of an under 23 player as well. So Ruben, hey mate, how's it going? Hi Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Doing very well. And um delighted that you've brought me on the podcast and can't wait to um, give a little insight of and hopefully be helpful to a lot of people. Yeah. I think it's going to be, be fascinating for people to hear somebody who has been through the academy process so recently in terms of their career, how it's kind of set them up. And also, I think the the cool thing was when we sort of been speaking a little bit beforehand, obviously you're kind of rooting to maybe being a bit more of a scout and then looking at the sort of coaching area as well. 
how that's all how that's all sort of panned out. So for, for people who are unaware, do you want to tell them a little bit about where you are in terms of your football career at the moment and sort of some of the other stuff that you're looking into as well? Yeah, so um I was obviously went through the Chelsea Academy through under eights to under 23s, had a spell on loan at Falkirk before um I was released at Chelsea, moving to Sunderland and this year I found myself um back in part-time football non-league at Dulwich Hamlet and on the side of that I've also been doing a bit of scouting work um for Chelsea and more recently Charlton yeah that's uh it's, it's an interesting pathway I think how a lot of players have maybe sort of managed their time during the pandemic is, is it common that a lot of players have sort of taken up things like scouting and maybe looked into coaching and stuff or, or is it do you think just something that you've you've kind of gravitated towards because you've had sort of an interest in there previously I think uh, for me, since playing part-time football and, and being in uh, at Dulwich, there's a lot of players who are on the sort of similar wavelength, I yep. guess, because you have have more time for yourself and you're not completely dedicated to football. That's not where all your time's going, training every day. So a lot of the boys I was playing with, um, the likes of Danny Mills and Michael Timlin, they'd done their coaching badges. So they've obviously got their UEFA B licenses, looking for their UEFA A and I guess there's more sort of level-headed talks about uh, what you'd be doing after football. Um, I guess when you're caught up in full-time football and my experience of being in the academy, obviously I was a bit younger, but that just wasn't really spoke of. It was just, um, I want to be a footballer and, yeah. and that's it. There, there was never any talks and of what you do after football. And I guess um, you wouldn't really expect that either. I get At that time, that is your life and that's all you know. But I was always someone who who did think of after football and I, and I always thought of myself as being someone who potentially go into coaching. Um, and when the timing is right, I'd, I'd probably go down that path to get my qualifications and, and getting involved in that. But for um, what I was doing while I was still playing football at the time, going into the re- recruitment and scouting seemed like a better fit and where I just enjoy the game of football, love watching it. Um, it just felt amazing. I was able to then go out yep. and, and watch teams and watch clubs where many people have unfortunately not been able to. I felt very fortunate I could go out to games and do that. And um, being able to do these reports and learn off other scouts I've been been able to work with at um, Chelsea and Charlton and heads of recruitment, you learn a lot. And just being on this side of football uh, has been a real eye-opener. Yeah, that's uh, that's really really interesting there to see. Certainly, that as you say, the development into into slightly different perspectives and different kind of avenues as you progress through. Now, I think before we get into the real sort of meat and potatoes of the episode, I think there are certainly a couple of things that people always want to ask guys who are in football in terms of particularly, I suppose, the pandemic period. So, before we kick into things, what's your what's been your like Netflix or sort of Amazon thing that you've been really into sort of over the past year or so? movie uh, or tv uh, series or are you not really into that sort of stuff well, I mean, well th- this would have been ages ago but i remember when we sort of first in lockdown um the last dance was incredible uh, yeah uh that was probably one of the best series I- I- i've watched i mean ozark i'm a big fan of ozark I'm trying to think any of anything lately it's been we've been watching more films really just watch run yeah. um that's come out recently which i'd recommend is quite quite a good film and also the Formula One series. I'm not, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. But, um, yeah, I know the one talking about. That's yeah, really, yeah. really well produced, yeah. That is very well produced. And um, I'd watched the first two series and was obviously happy when this third one's just come out now. So, 
yeah, sort of been binge watching that a little bit. Closest uh, closest player that you've you've played with in training or experience that you would maybe compare to sort of having Michael Jordan's mentality? Maybe a bit of a, an insane question considering that he he literally would invent stuff and then sort of, you know, make stuff up to actually motivate himself. But have you played with anyone or anyone that's had such a mentality that you've gone like, okay, this is a bit, this is a bit sort of special. I think in terms of Michael Jordan's personality and where he was a bit of a, uh, he drove stuff out of players and he obviously yeah. was, some regarded him as maybe being a bit of a bully, but he just demanded the most out of players. I think maybe culture's changed a little bit because I've never really came across yeah that kind of player but the likes of I think Mason Mount stands out to me as just someone who really loved football it just sounds silly just saying just loves football because obviously a lot of people do but yeah, yeah. He, he took it to a level where he'd just do extra training all the time um, he just wanted to get better like his, the, his work ethic um, not just on the pitch but mm away from it when you do you could do extras he'd always be the one the last person to leave the training ground um and that kind of thing so you're seeing the rewards now of how well he's doing with the first team and what a player he is and I think it's just credit to his his own work ethic so I guess in terms of that and the fact in high pressure moments he can still produce he's probably Chelsea's most consistent player at the moment so he was doing that. Uh, you never could imagine he might have been doing that at this high high level, but he's just going to show he can. And he was obviously doing that all the way through the academy. And it's just incredible to see at such a young age what he's doing for England and Chelsea. It's, so he's probably the person that sticks out in terms of that um, serious work ethic and drive to do well. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think Mason, obviously there is there's a little bit of of I wouldn't say controversy, but there was some talk around him, you know, just sort of being in the team because he he has legs and he can and run and stuff like that. But I think what you're seeing with him now certainly is he's got this sort of perfect combination of of really, really high level ability plus that that in sort of insane work rate that he has. You know, I don't think I've seen a, a player at Chelsea who can who can press and sort of lead the team in, in in those sorts of actions and yet still be, you know, he's got the most chances created, um, most shot-creating actions. He's so creative yet so, his work ethic is so insane at times that you're sort of wondering, like, how can this guy play 50, 60 games a season? Um, mm-hmm. But I think from what you're saying, in terms of the, the work that he's been putting in since he was probably a, a kid, it's it's maybe not, maybe surprising to see him at the level he is at the moment, but maybe not so surprising to see him do well at first team level now the the big one and this is what people have actually wanted me to ask you is uh are you a playstation or are you an xbox man or a pc guy in terms of gaming to be honest i'm not the biggest gamer um, which is probably a bit of a disappointing answer but if i i've got a a playstation so that's obviously my go-to but yeah i I feel for me i guess when i was in digs playing with i I was in digs with mukturali who's in um, plays in saudi arabia now um which is a which is a remarkable journey in itself. But me and him were in digs and we, we got on well and we obviously play FIFA and I think we, we used to love playing UFC as well. And that was obviously <laughs> on on PlayStation. But yeah. I was just never that good at gaming <laughs> to even consider getting involved. So if if there was ever like a um, a gathering where we'd all go around and play a FIFA tournament, I'd be the one who just wouldn't get involved because I, I just wasn't good enough. I'd end up getting spanked three or four nil. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, I just never entertained it too much, and I, I try and keep myself occupied doing doing other things. Yeah, 
That's interesting. I've heard rumours that Tammy Abraham is pretty decent. I don't know if that's that's true, but he uh, he always seems to come up whenever Chelsea do something on YouTube. He seems to yeah, be the guy that. Yeah, yeah. He he was. I think he was good. I mean, he that was always the talk in the change room. I guess you get that conversation of who's the best around. <laughs> obviously, you know, it's probably what Tammy's like, but his personality, he'd make sure he was make sure people know that he's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. And last one before we get into the, the proper football talk here. So if if you weren't uh, playing football, for example, were you were you good at sports in general? Was there a second sport or something that you you were good at in school? Or was has it always just been been football for you? I mean, probably more so primary school. I did every sport you could. Yeah. So we went to gymnastics tournaments and I'd go to them. I mean, I wasn't the best. Could have been gymnast, a different career for you. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I'm thinking of the athlete, all the athletics tournaments. I guess for me, we had tag rugby. I'd, I'd just try any sport because I was yeah. quite an active person. But for me, if there was anything else, I'd, I'd definitely be a runner. I mean, I'd kind of based a lot of my game off my ability to cover a lot of distance in games. So I'd probably be a longer distance runner, maybe a 5K runner because okay. I was pretty I'd, I'd probably put myself, when I was playing in the academy, the, the fittest in the 18s and 23s. Yeah. yeah. So I'd... I mean, it'd be a whole different way of training, but I'd be—I think I'd be able to pick that up and get into it. So that'd be my go-to. That'd be interesting. Yeah, cool. Okay, so let's let's kick this off then. So I think you joined Chelsea as an under eight. I think that's correct in, in saying that. Um, so you're you're seven, eight years old. What is the process of of being scouted like at that age? Like, how how do you get noticed by a club? And certainly when it comes to Chelsea, because I, I know that you're a Kent boy as well. How do you get on Chelsea's radar when you're, you know, not maybe in, in South West London or Surrey or sort of where the, the club is based? What is that sort of process like as, as a kid for you? Well, mine was quite an, an interesting process in the fact that I was an Arsenal fan growing up. There, I'll edit that it, out. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a, an Arsenal sort of school of excellence uh, that was in my, in Maidstone, so where I lived um, when I must have been six or seven. So it was just sort of a summer camp and then my mum's taken me along to that um, with my brother and his friends and you're you just there for a couple of weeks. Sort of nine to three, you'd be there maybe three three days a week and, and from that, um, I'd obviously done quite well that they were willing to sort of put me into the, the advanced soccer school which was still connected to Arsenal and then this was where players from that sort of summer camp would then go and it was a better standard of player, still um, not academy level. But from there, where it was connected to Arsenal, there'd be Arsenal scouts would come regularly to the games we play against each mm. other at the, uh, these evening sessions. And I, I got invited to go down to Arsenal. So I went up to HLM when I was sort of eight and was, and was there for a few months, really. Um, and was pretty close to signing for Arsenal when I was eight. So you signed like a pre-agreement because you weren't, allowed to be officially assigned academy player until you're under nines. Ah, okay. All, all, yeah, all the while you're under eights, you could play for West Ham, you could go to Chelsea, you could go to Tottenham, wherever. And a lot of the boys were doing that. So I was obviously, um, Tammy was at Arsenal at the same time as me, but also training at Chelsea and also training at West Ham. And then it happened to be one of the dads at um, Arsenal, um was saying there's this uh, tournament at Chelsea at, at Cobham um, and just said, oh, I'll get in touch with the guy and see if he could come down and and play. Um, 
And at the time, I think Chelsea were the champions that Mourinho had just come in and I was jumped to the chance to sort of yeah. go and train there and went there and literally it was a day of just playing each other in like mini tournaments. There must have been 60 to 80 boys there and you were split into teams of seven and you just played each other really all day. And then um, at the end of that day, Jim was still there, Jim Fraser, a lot younger and he, he just sort of came <laughs> and said, oh, do you want to come in train? And we really liked uh, we really liked what we saw. And, and from that point, I was going in most days to Chelsea and, and made the decision that I wanted to sign for them. I, I just preferred the environment there. It was a lot more welcoming. Um, and yeah, from there, that, that that's how I kind of got into Chelsea at under eight. So it wasn't necessarily being scouted just from grassroots playing for yeah. my local team. It was, it was kind of a different route where I've gone through the centre of excellence and soccer schools, which obviously they're really good schemes that, that are still going on today. And I think a lot of clubs do do take a, a look into them. And I think Chelsea's probably one of those. Yeah, that's interesting. When, when you, you mentioned that you, you kind of felt that Chelsea had a slightly different atmosphere, is there something that stands out to you compared to other clubs? Because I'm, I'm thinking now that, you know, for probably the past maybe 10, maybe 15 years, Chelsea's recruitment of, of young players, they tend to get an awful lot of it right so I'm thinking that there, there is obviously something that they're doing in sort of the younger age groups, whether it's, you know, making the game more fun or they're making it um, more appealing to you as a, as a kid. Is there, is there anything you can remember that sort of stood out compared to, let's say, an Arsenal or a West Ham or whoever else that you might have been training at, at that point? Yeah, I think for, for me, the training was probably very similar. They were both very fun. I enjoyed, going, I enjoyed my time going into Arsenal. Uh, but I just think the people at Chelsea were a lot, more friendly and welcoming and they made you feel special you weren't just uh almost a number to them it, yeah. you felt like they really believed in you and um they were going to help develop you and I think that's that's what drew me in really um and to be honest to this day obviously Jim's still there and he, he's great at what he does and there it's a real family club and I think the culture that they've sort of built at Chelsea's unlike any other I've, I've experienced. I mean, I've only experienced um, briefly at Arsenal and then I've been at Chelsea my whole life and then yeah. maybe a bit of Sunderland where I was in and around their 23s in academy. But I feel like Chelsea are, are definitely leading the way in terms of um, developing you as a person as well as a player and right from a very young age. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly fascinating. I, I think always, you know, one of the... The, the things that came across to me, someone who watches a lot of academy football, whenever you guys had, let's say, you know, won an FA Youth Cup or won a big game, for example, and you were being interviewed, it always came across that you were sort of all very well grounded, that you'd been sort of, I don't want to say like like media trained or that sort of stuff, but it was almost like sort of the, the kind of the culture of the club that you were very sort of aware that you were representing Chelsea and you had this sort of very kind of strong connection and identity. And you could see that certainly when every single individual player would be would be interviewed, there would be a a sort of real kind of class and consistency amongst you. So it's interesting, certainly when you talk about the, the cultural aspects there. Um, I'm looking sort of now in terms of, you know, looking at sort of the, you know, the traits and qualities. I think sort of one of the questions that, that people often sort of ask in terms of scouting is, is how can you tell that a seven-year-old, for example, is, is going to become, you know, Mason Mount is going to become a Reese James or whoever, whoever it might be. With your kind of newfound scouting hat on, what, are you, what would you be looking at in sort of, a, you know, like an under eight and under nine, for example, um, in terms of qualities and in terms of things that you think might might transfer to, to being a better footballer? Is there something you're looking for or is it just a, a feel that you have for the player? Are you looking for certain traits? 
know, pace, agility, their control of the ball, whatever it might be. What sort of things would you be looking at in, in that respect? I think in terms of a Chelsea player, um, bringing someone in that has got that Chelsea quality, I guess you focus a little bit on their physical attributes. Yeah. Uh, speed, like you said, speed, agility, their, their physicality, but at the same time, younger players are developing at different rates and, and you can't rule out players because of size or anything like that. I don't think that's necessarily as important. It's more so their intelligence, their vision. Um, if they're able to see things at that age that other players on that pitch aren't able to see, mm. um, just that sort of star star quality that they're able to do something different. They can beat a player and they've got a bit of, bit of something special. And I guess it's a, it's a feeling you have yeah. More so when at that age, you might not identify something because he's a very skillful player because everyone's sort of improving and developing, but you can just see the way they carry themselves and their intelligence on the pitch um, makes them stand out. And I think for me as well, a big part of what I, I like to look at is that at that age, if you're, everyone wants to be on the ball, everyone wants to score the goal, but it's the player who almost see can see things in the game happening and is taking that more off the ball approach and their work ethic and if they're able to read the game and intercept I think that that's really a quality that if a player is doing that at seven eight then they're almost playing above above their their age they're they're already starting to read the game and I think that's what impresses me the most yeah yeah, I mean, I, I was listening to a podcast that I think a chap called Sam Page was on quite a while back. I think he's heavily involved in sort of the foundation phase of, of, of Chelsea's kind of development there. Um, and he was talking about how Chelsea kind of tried to develop kids in a slightly different manner to other clubs in that they they try and encourage them to to sort of be kids in some respect. They try to encourage them to, to you know, climb trees and sort of do all the crazy stuff that kids do, try different sports and all that sort of stuff. Whereas maybe other clubs take a slightly more focused approach and uh, I don't want to say regimented, but maybe it, it's more kind of all about the football for them. So sort of in terms of, of your kind of experience of coming through, is that something that, that you kind of felt that you were kind of encouraged to still sort of be be a kid and kind of learn and grow up and stuff rather than be, you know, kind of treated like a, a first team player at sort of eight years old? And in terms of those kind of sessions from, from you know, eight, nine, 10 till, I don't know, 11, 12, 13, for example, is, it, is there anything that really kind of stands out in terms of how Chelsea were were sort of training or taking sessions that you think is, is, is something that works particularly well? Yeah, for me, Chelsea always sort of reiterated the, I think it's still called the triangle where it's the, your family, your school, and then the football and, and football was always oh, the cool. last on that um that list so they always made sure family was the most important thing for the player and if there was ever any commitment or family thing that happened then that that is what was prioritized then you obviously had school so they always encouraged you to to do activities with school and if you went on school trips and it meant you had to miss training that was never looked they never thought that was a bad thing it was always football came last up until you almost you've gone through that foundation development stage football only really became probably more so priority when you're then becoming a scholar so that was obviously a, an important point they they always like to make and I think in terms of training and stuff I think they've probably developed it since because they're they're so forward thinking and um, I know Neil especially is a lot further ahead I feel 
um, in terms of academy management to other academy managers. And that's probably through people I've spoken to as well. But yeah. he seems to always um, have a vision and does stuff that to make sure they're always ahead of the curve. But when, when I was younger, I remember uh, summer camps, we'd always be playing different sports. So we'd always be playing handball, tag rugby, that kind of stuff. Yeah. In with the football. We had a guy came in once. This is going way back. I must have been 10, but <laughs> um, I think it was, it was something to do with basketball. So he brought in like a basketball hoop and that kind of stuff. And we ended up playing basketball all session instead of playing football. And there's probably similar um, things in basketball that you can take into yeah. football, transferable skills. So there, there was always a method behind the madness, I guess. And it always just kept it enjoyable because it was so there was always a variety and you always did something different in training. It was never just the same regimented sessions. There was always something fun, fun being done. And I guess um, I've not really seen what, what it's like at the Academy now for those younger age groups, but yeah. I'm sure there's probably a whole load of stuff like Sam, Sam saying where they're encouraging kids to obviously play and stuff. And they're probably doing a lot more tag games and that sort of thing um, integrated in the session. Yeah, I, th I think that the point you're talking about in terms of almost sort of encouraging kids to do sort of multiple sports, that was something certainly when when I was younger, I played sort of rugby and, and football county level and was at Cholton as a, as a really small kid in terms of playing football there as well. But you were kind of encouraged to to sort of learn almost like different movements and obviously like hand-eye coordination from playing different sports and stuff like that. The, I mean, it, it's probably a bit different in terms of, of of how you see things now. But would you would you say that that having kids who have maybe played like a bit of rugby and a bit of cricket and a bit of football, for example, are more likely to have like a well-rounded set of like physical or maybe like like mental skills as well? Maybe their you know ability to process space from playing rugby from from scanning different angles and stuff like that is slightly different. Is that something that that you you kind of you think potentially, you know, kind of works now or, or is that just, just something that maybe is a little bit oversold? So I'm thinking certainly when I think of um, a lot of really successful American athletes, you know, guys who are uh, excellent players like Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, for example, played baseball, played basketball at a really high level. Um, I'm just wondering if, if any of that sort of stuff would translate over to to being a, a good footballer. Or do you, th you think that there's, there's, there's something in there at all? I think there's definitely going to be transferable skills um, for sure. I wouldn't know the sort of science behind it or anything like that, but yeah. definitely if if you're a younger player um, developing, being able to play as many sports as you can is only gonna is only gonna benefit. I think from a personal sort of anecdote, someone I'd played with, um, Nathan Baxter, who's obviously a very good goalkeeper, do right, very yeah. well. He was playing uh, cricket at county level and probably could have gone on to a professional career in cricket. Um, and That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, play, he played that all the way up to, don't quote me on the, his age, but... It's okay, yeah. Yes, but to um, sort of scholarship level, and he obviously made the decision to go down the football route, but he could have very well had a career in that. And I think being a goalkeeper especially, he'll probably tell you that there is a lot of transferable skills where he's yeah. throwing and catching the ball and obviously having to react quickly when he's batting to... Um, a ball flying flying at you at 70 80 miles an hour so um yeah i, I, I guess it it definitely would help
for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think Nathan's, uh, I think, an interesting example because for maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but just, just as he's been brought up, the way that Chelsea seem to want to develop goalkeepers, um, I think is a little bit different to sort of outfield players, it seems. So I think Nathan and both Jamie both went and played sort of uh, like national level and then, you know, they played, um, what is it, the, the conference level, you know, the the prem, the prem level in terms of uh, semi-pro, they played League 2, League 1, etc., um, how how important do you think it is from from let, let's just sort of take a look at goalkeepers, maybe Nathan in particular, for, for his development to have gone out on loan at such a young age and to have played you know kind of adult football from I think he was what 16, 17, 17 when he went on loan, 18, something like that, to go and play adult football from that sort of age. Um, how do you think that, that necessarily helps contribute to his development? And also just just because Nathan, again, I think he's someone of interest to people from on this podcast. Do you think that he potentially could be a, a Premier League goalkeeper in the future? I think definitely he's got a potential to be a Premier League goalkeeper. Yeah. And I think the um I'll go probably go on to talking about that, but going back to what you kind of first asked, I think the fact he, he went on loan to to that sort of non-league football um down the lower levels, I guess a lot of players it, he he just never had that ego where it didn't affect him. Um, a lot of Buchanan players, I think more so outfield players, are too afraid to take that route going out into non-league football that they feel like they're entitled. They're at Chelsea Academy. We should be playing Championship League One if I'm going on loan. Yeah. Where Nathan, that, that didn't really affect him. I think in the long run, being a goalkeeper, which is obviously different to being an outfield player, you, wherever you, whatever level you're playing at, you're going to be saving shots like any level you're going to get a striker you're going to get who's who's shooting at you and I guess different in terms of quality of the strike coming at you but the fact that each game you're going to be sort of getting the same what you would be expecting at Premier League where you're going to have to save something um, and it's not necessarily you're not affected by the pace of the game or anything because you're just standing in the goal so the sooner you go out in that kind of environment the better and the fact he's having to come out and claim balls from crosses at 17 18 years old against big bricklayers maybe. <laughs> and, um, yeah I think that the fact he had that experience put him yeah. in a really good position and he only progressed and developed and he like you said he went from Met Police I think and then he went straight to Solihull Moors in the National League Woking, and then he he gradually progressed, and he's gone up a division almost every time he's gone out yeah. on a different loan, and, and he's proved at each level how good he is. And I think he's obviously had a few injuries in the last couple of seasons, but for me, he was probably still, if not the best goalkeeper in, in League One while while he's playing at Accrington. Yeah, um, he he's definitely got a long career ahead of him, and hopefully, I, I feel as if he can play at the top level, and I think maybe in three, four years with the sort of steady progression he's been making, he will be. Yeah, I found it fascinating. I saw an interview that he did with with uh, Chelsea and he was talking about his, uh, it might have been actually when he was at the Met Police and he was sort of saying, you know, he, he did more sort of, or he, he was, had more involvement in the game in uh, one half of uh, football for the Met Police than he had in basically, you know, three or four games that he would play for 
for the academy. So I always find that quite fascinating to see that obviously, you know, Chelsea's academy, exceptional team, not really going to be, be under siege by too many teams and not going to be peppered by shots every now and then. So but I, I did find it quite funny that he was almost like shocked that, ah, oh, this is what, you know, this is what actually being a goalkeeper is about. Maybe then, uh, you know, trying to play like a 60 yard diagonal to a, to a striker and that being the only thing that you do in a game. So yeah, always, uh, always good to, to see him developing. Yeah. And I do agree. I think in terms of his, I think it's unfortunate that he got a, a pretty bad injury. Um, but he was certainly on course probably to be in contention to be that the goalkeeper in that League One team of the season. But I think one to keep an eye on for Chelsea fans, he's a little bit of a dark horse in terms of, yeah, of yeah, ability. Sure. Um, yeah, as you say. A very uh, intelligent guy as well and, a, and a, a really good guy. And it's and it's funny how you're saying that because I'd, I'd never really looked at it that way, but it's true what you're saying. If When you're in goal for the under-18s and under-23s at Chelsea, we're probably getting 80% possession at time. <laughs> Yeah. He's not going to save anything. So, no, that, that's, yeah, that's that's so true what you're saying. And I guess um, that's probably a reason why he's developed quicker. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the same. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that sort of academy, the sort of pluses and minuses in terms of being such a good side a little bit later. But just to sort of round off this kind of development stage of, of, of sort of your career in the Chelsea process. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening so far. We are taking a very, very short break to listen to some words from one of our sponsors. So at uh, what kind of stage, let's say like pre-scholarship, what kind of stage are you now thinking this is this is getting to be quite serious for you as a, as a player? Are you 12, 13? What, what sort of age group are you, are you kind of in at that point in time? And then how, how does that sort of affect the, the level of training? How does that affect your kind of relationship with, with other players? I'm, I'm curious to sort of know, you know, the fun and games at Chelsea, it's all great. The development's fantastic. But then... I'm sure there's a point where you think, hang on a minute, I'm A, I'm pretty good here and B, I think I might have a chance to, to become a scholar. When does it become serious and how does that sort of change the, the, the sort of dynamic in the in the sort of group that you're in? For me, it's, it was under 14. So the sort of second half of the season. So you, after Christmas, basically, under 14s is when you're almost preparing for, for us, the biggest competition was the Nike Cup. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah. Uh, but it was that tournament that where all the scouts were there, all the England scouts, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, and you obviously becoming, you're getting into that age group where you, you then had victory shield. Um, yeah. So for, for us as players, we all knew about that competition and we all knew what it meant to win and do well and play well. And I think for us, we all kind of wanted to get in into the national setup. And, um, that's when it, it was all kind of serious. So I could play for England here. Um, and I think from that point, you were under 15s, you got called up to England or you didn't. And then it, it's now the, the scholarship um, stage where the next two years we rolled into obviously the full-time schooling yeah. at the academy and you're there earning your scholarship and hopefully a pro contract as well. So up until that point, I guess, uh, the second half of under-14s, it, it's all fun and games. And um, obviously, training's always been a high level. You're, you're with the best players uh, in the country, really, yeah. at, at all those age groups. But then when it gets to 14, you really do start to notice that step up. And it's it's almost sort of that friendliness of um, we're all mates here now becomes... I'm trying bit, to get a bit, bit more competitive, I yeah, can imagine, in training. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. And it means something to to be dropped in the night cup and you want to be playing in the team because 
the benefits of doing well, what it could bring to you. So I guess that's the moment where it's like, oh, we're not, we're not here sharing minutes here. We're not all getting an hour in the game, that kind of thing. It's now who's the best players, who's starting in the team, which is the sort yeah. of uh, um, exposure to that, really. That's fascinating because I think a lot of people listening to this will think, oh, you know, it's it's serious when you're like 16, 17 and you're looking at like the FA Youth Cup. And obviously that is one of the headline competitions in, in sort of development and academy football. But to know that sort of, as you say, from sort of the second half of, of that age group, that now it's like, hang on a minute, you know, we've got this Nike uh, Cup on the horizon. We've got potential, um, you know, victory shield implications here in terms of being called up, the benefits of of you know, probably being on television and creating a little bit of a reputation for yourself. I mean, people can think back to like Wayne Rooney and stuff like that when they, you know, exploded onto the scene in sort of these kind of games. So I think for people, that would be very interesting to know that it's it's not sort of when you're 16, 17 or 15, it actually, you know, can start a lot earlier than that in terms of the the, com- the competition there. Um, you talked a bit about uh, moving into sort of the education standpoint here or moving into sort of education at Chelsea. Now, I think people are probably aware that we have like a school kind of system attached to to sort of Chelsea. Um, can you give a little bit of sort of a detail in terms of what that looks like from you from like a day-to-day perspective, particularly in terms of, let's say, your academic versus your footballing split? Because I know for, I think you're one of the, the few players that actually has, you know, some academic qualifications behind you as well. So maybe from your perspective, it's a little bit different to, to others, but I'd, I'd be really interested to hear from from sort of your standpoint, what that balance of schooling and football looks like, and in terms of Chelsea's model, um, you know whether that sort of balance is is something that you think is right, and whether you think it's something that is has contributed to the success that Chelsea have had in in the sort of the the youth systems over the past couple of, of five ten years, whatever it might be. Yeah, sure. For me, it was a, a big decision I had to make at that time, being offered that full time schooling. I'd come from Maidstone Grammar School, which was a, a good school from yeah. where I lived. So I guess a concern for not just myself, but my parents was um, how will this going into full-time football training every day going to affect uh, my schooling? And uh, hopefully if it, if it would be detrimental to my grades, that kind of thing. Um, so they, they were sort of the questions we raised. And, and Chelsea, the system they sort of created was... It ended up being very good, um, and for me, it was a um, a risk take, a risk I took, and it really paid off. To be honest, because I think yeah. my football development grew exponentially, and then at the same time, the schooling system I had in place. So, in terms of day to day, it's probably changed now because that was a few years back. But we'd get in pretty early, and we'd do back to back lessons eight till ten then go out on the training pitch for the couple of hours we do in the morning after lunch, we then do another back to back sort of sessions of two hours um, before we do a gym session. And on some days we did a homework session in the evening. So they were very long days at times, but they during the week. So Friday was only a half day. So on a Tuesday, it was funny how they worked. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were almost proper working days. Yeah. And then on a Friday, we ended up, because they were such long days, you might not leave the training ground till four. And then on some days, um, on a Tuesday with the homework club, it wouldn't be till seven, half seven. So that they obviously respected, they can overwork us. So Fridays would just be a football day um, with a, a short lesson in the morning. But, the system they sort of 
created. I remember Jerry Harvey because Jerry Harvey was sort of at this the heart of it. He yeah. helped develop the model, and he 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 used to say the stories about how he went to loads of different places just to see how how they did it. So whether it be rugby, loads of universities, the rowing clubs, that kind of stuff, who balance their education with also their sport. And I think he ended up basing the whole model on the Royal Ballet Academy. Yeah, that's true, um, yeah. Yeah, which it was just fascinating itself. But he obviously done his due diligence and research and came up with the best model and it. It definitely worked very well. I mean, I was still able to come out of the, pro- the two-year programme with um, the A's and A-star grades I, I would have probably hoped to do if I was still at school every day. So the teachers they brought in and um, that kind of stuff was was all very well researched. And yeah. I think, yeah, the model, the model ended up being perfect in the end. And it got the balance right of school. And then also we're in training every day. And I think in terms of football development, that there's nothing better than being able to practice your craft every day. And at times we were at 15, 16, we were training with the youth team. So that only accelerated our development too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that I, I remember him telling me that that story about how the, uh, you know, the actual system was put in place that he'd, you know, he'd been to like Bayern Munich and he'd been to Ajax and Barcelona. And you're thinking, you know, these are pretty good teams, particularly Ajax and Barcelona. Like they have a really good and strong like history and, and of, of producing young players. And yet it's sort of, you know, like 20 minutes up the road, there's like a ballet school, which has the absolute perfect system. And that has kind of not only become, I think, Chelsea's sort of foundation of doing it, but if you look at the way that a lot of other clubs have, I don't want to say copied, but sort of piggybacked off the, off, off that kind of um, sort of style of, as you say, split between schooling and then football and making sure that there's a well, there's like a really well-balanced um, sort of development of, of the, the player just as, a, you know, both from an intellectual standpoint as an academic, but also from, from the sporting side as well. Um now, before sort of moving into some slightly more, like, let's say, philosophical questions, which I'm, I'm really interested to get your opinion on. Um, last sort of topic in terms of the, the the kind of initial academy phase. And I think, again, something that, that people were maybe not fully kind of aware of or the process behind things. But when it comes to sort of approaching the period where you're, you're likely to be offered a scholarship or um, or not, as it may be, what is the, the process and, and how does that sort of affect you as a player? Um, how did you sort of feel in that sort of period and what what did it kind of feel like to receive the scholarship offer and then uh, sort of the second part of that as well that I'd just like to get an opinion on um, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you were in digs with, with Mukhtar Ali which I imagine would have been quite fun so he always seemed to come across as a pretty good guy um, but the process of sort of moving away from your your parents I'd imagine and moving away from your family and living with like a billet family or whatever it might be in, in sort of the Surrey area um, how do you sort of do you kind of judge those two or how did you sort of manage those two really kind of big moments I would imagine in your life both getting the scholarship offer um, and all the stress maybe around that period and then obviously moving away from family and and living with a, a teammate or a couple of teammates in digs what, what was that sort of process like and how did you sort of manage that? So be, being offered the scholarship at that time is obviously a dream come true really. Yeah, it's, it's like the big uh, first milestone in your career. Yeah exactly and I, and I remember me and my dad, obviously, from under eights to 15, whatever it be, um, on a Saturday, whenever the youth team played, watching them on the side, just um, dreaming of being able to play on that pitch myself. And yeah. to get to that point, it, although it's only a stepping stone in what is a whole different world when you get to sort of professional level, it's 
it's yeah the first big milestone like you said and it and it's an amazing feeling and I guess the process of of getting that scholarships um quite low-key there's not really any agent involved that kind of thing because you're, you're so young and it's just almost uh, a thing between you and the club and they're just them it's a special moment for them obviously to be able to um offer you that that contract yeah and I think in terms of what you asked about moving away from home and, and going into digs, that kind of thing, that I had to do that at quite a young age, really, because the full-time schooling um, was under 15, so I would have been 14 at the time. Ah, and although, can't, can't give and me although, information every day. <laughs> <laughs> and although it, it wasn't necessarily, at that point, we, we were in a hotel, um, because there'd already been under 16s, under 18s who were in digs around the area, that there wasn't enough fat host oh, family really, yeah. in that proximity to the training ground that could, could cater for us. So we used to have a member of staff come with us to the hotel and the days were very long. So we ended up, it was almost just a bed to sleep in and then you're up the next <laughs> day going to school. But we'd be able to go home on a Wednesday. So we used to go on a Wednesday and come in late on a Thursdays. And then you'd be home on the Friday before your game on the Saturday. So you were at home quite a lot. It only re- They did it in a way that you'd only really be away from home, maybe two days, three days at a time. Yeah. So that initial integration, because I'd obviously at that point never been away from home. It, it was quite um, a gradual process. And I was able to settle into that before then you're an under 16 and you're in digs. So I, I built up a friendship with Mukta and then we were put into digs together. And I guess uh, you have to grow up pretty quickly, but yeah. when when you're in digs with your mate, it, it makes it a lot easier. And at the same time, I'm not too far from where I live in Maidstone. So my, my parents would come up and visit. And if, if we'd go out for dinner, they'd always come to my games on the Saturday. So and I'd be home on the weekends. So it was, the process was actually quite smooth in terms of getting able to sort of be more independent and, and, and live on your own. And I guess it all helps with where you've got um, a good digs person, a good yeah. digs home family that are really good to work well with the club. And also you're in there with one of your teammates. Um, no, it was, it was quite an easy transition looking back at it. And I guess it's only really helped me develop in, in my later life now as well, having to sort of be more independent and especially when you go out on loan and you can then yeah. talk to phone for yourself and cook for yourself. I think that whole process back when you were 15 has almost prepared you up to that point. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point, actually, particularly, I think, as you say, going out on loan. I think a lot of people, particularly when it comes to feet, like footballers, you kind of get dehumanised a little bit. You just assume that everything is is super simple and everything's super easy. But as you say, you know, going away as a teenager, be it on loan to another country or, you know, if you're from London going up north, for example, and then having to sort of look after yourself, it can be a little bit of a culture shock. And even I remember going to you know, obviously university as a student, the you know, first couple of weeks, I was just like, I just want my mum here to be <laughs> cook me food and do my washing and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So um yeah definitely definitely makes sense there i mean is is there anyone i mean again, you don't have to necessarily drop anyone in it on their names here but i'm curious if you've seen anyone maybe struggle with that adaptation to, to sort of moving away from their parents and, and maybe how that affected them as a player whether they were you know like super super talent and someone that you thought maybe was particularly strong or had a, a good chance of 
of becoming in and a top player or kicking on and maybe they haven't necessarily adapted to that that lifestyle of moving away from their families does anyone spring to mind or have you seen that or heard of anything like that before no one particularly stands out as as that really struggled yeah. i guess a lot of the boys who came in at the the full-time schooling we all kind of helped each other and we coped with it quite well there was never anyone i thought um they're struggling big time here yeah (laughs) maybe apparently they were struggling or it was affecting their performance too much I guess when we were then youth team and there were more foreign players coming into the system I was very close to Miro Muheim who's now playing in the Swiss Premier League and doing very well he was just um playing for Switzerland in the under 21s Euros they beat England he played and I think for me he was someone in who always had incredible ability in training he, he, he looked very good but at the same time he's on his own moved away from his family um, from Switzerland he's got a girlfriend in Switzerland that who'd visit not that often it, it, obviously it'd be quite difficult tough yeah um, his mum and dad and that kind of stuff so he was always someone who you probably look back at and think he never really progressed that well in the academy he wasn't maybe part of youth cup successes or played a big part in our youth our wins and our, our triumphs mm. but then at the same time he's gone back to Switzerland and he's doing remarkably well so I guess that home comfort has kind of benefited him now but I think he'd probably look back and say that experience of moving away from home and abroad has, has made him a stronger person at the same yeah. time and has helped him develop. And I think it's, it's amazing for him how well he is doing now. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that, that's a really, really good point to, to sort of finish up on in terms of the, the sort of academy and then the scholarship stuff there. Now, I think now I'd like to sort of dig into the, the kind of the Chelsea development concept. We'll call it that as a, a sort of a, a topic area here. So, what I want to look at is sort of grab your opinions in terms of, of Chelsea's sort of way of developing players and, and compare it to somebody who's maybe a bit more extreme to so somebody like Ajax, for example. So Ajax tend to, let's say, kind of very early teenagers, you know, you would be, okay, Ruben, you're going to be a number six and this is what you're going to do and these are sort of the movements you're going to have to learn and this is how we play it in the first team and, you know, from 13, 14 to 18, 20, potentially in the first team. You know, that is the, the style of play that you play. These are the things that you need to pick up on. The coaching is very similar from, from uh, you know, whatever age group it is to the to the first team level. Very kind of, I wouldn't say regimented because obviously they produce some incredible players, but the, they have a very set way of developing talent into a system that they obviously like to, to play with, with regularity. And when I sort of contrast that with Chelsea, you often see guys play, you know, six, eight, ten in midfield. They'll play fullback, centre-back, maybe holding mid, for example, centre-forward, wide, whatever it might be. Um, so I'm curious in terms of, of your development as a, as a young player, how many kind of different roles did you, did you play as a kid, uh, did you play as a kid and sort of when, when did the club kind of settle on you as being kind of a sort of number six, number eight. And, and even then sort of when you were kind of settling into being more of a, a holding player, potentially, were you still kind of deployed in, in other roles? So I'm, I'm curious in terms of your actual development as a, as a player and maybe the system that Chelsea use, um, you know, how, how kind of often were you rotated? Was that something that you you felt benefited your game or was it something that you felt maybe hindered you and you would have rather focused on or maybe playing as a, as, as a number six from, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever it might be to, to playing as a, as, as an 18 year old in the FA Youth Cup, for example. So from foundation phase under nines to twelves, it was very much, you played 
different positions yeah. constantly. So I had Bob Osborne was my manager and we used to do it. So you'd split into defence, midfield, attack and over the course of the season, it might have been a nine-month season of, of playing football. You'd spend three months playing defensive positions, three months playing midfield positions, three months playing attacking positions. So you had the likes of Tammy Abraham, Dominic Solanke in, in my team and we were sort of randomising the groups you were put in but at one point you'd have Tammy and Dom as your centre-backs and I'd be a striker which is a funny concept looking yeah. at it now but at that time I guess it was getting you playing every position and then a chance for you to fall in love with a position maybe and the one you'd feel your best at and what uh, yeah and I guess at the same time it was a way for Chelsea to identify where you kind of had potential and what position. But um, yeah, funny stories about that. I just, I just remember Tammy was always obviously an attacking player, a striker, and you end up in a centre-back running the length of the pitch and scoring. <laughs> like, we may maybe lose the ball and it's like, where's Tammy? And he's still in the box. And it's Offside. Like, yeah. <laughs> It is funny, but that was always that was the system. Um, yeah, I think I can't really remember the age I actually sort of settled into playing a role as uh, a midfielder. But it, it was probably under twelves, I would say. I then with Cyril Davies, who's still at, still at the club, that that was when I sort of became uh, a midfielder. And I'd always been um, just with my mentality and attributes I was always more of a defensive minded midfielder compared to yeah. some of the others that would be in my team and I think that was almost my niche where I, I had a bit something different to offer where I, I'd mainly focus on my off the ball off the ball stuff and I think even that though all the while you're from that age then becoming a youth team player you are getting rotated so I'd probably at that point though been limited to just only being rotated across the midfield that that's sort of the days of sort of being a defender or, or striker. It wasn't the same as that sort of yeah. young foundation phase. But then at the same time where I was quite seen as being quite versatile, I ended up playing positions like centre-back or right-back throughout the age groups in at Chelsea. And I think at the same time that probably helped me even when I came to youth team where I was amongst very, very talented players, probably a lot who are better than me, but then where I had versatility, I, I could fill in a position at centre-back or right-back. Mm. I remember playing in a UEFA Youth League game with the likes of Ruben off cheek Andreas Christensen, Jeremy Boger, and, and I, um, <laughs> I was playing company. at right-back. Yeah, and I, I was playing at right-back and I was just buzzing to play at the time. Yeah. Um, so I think that whole sort of you take it for granted but that early foundation development phases of um, playing different positions kind of makes you more versatile and, and you yeah. today where Reese James can play centre midfield he did that quite a lot of Wigan yeah. um, and you develop different characteristics where you can slot in at different positions you're not just a one trick pony which I know I get the approach of where the Ajax is like you mentioned where you'd be a master at one position but the fact you're then being able to get good at different, good at other positions. You're more likely going to have a career in the game, whatever level that be. But um, certainly at Chelsea, these are players who are playing at the highest level. Yeah. 
I think the, the other interesting thing from what you're saying as well is that the way football is going now in terms of like players being almost like multifunctional in terms of their skill set, you know, being able to do different bits and pieces, you know, you, you're often finding yourselves in different areas of the pitch than maybe you're kind of traditionally, you know, you would associate with, let's say, a number six. You might be on the edge of the area. You might be in slightly more attacking positions. You might be receiving the ball between two centre-backs. So as you're saying, you know, if you are playing in different positions, full-back areas, you're comfortable playing as a centre-back, you're comfortable playing in all the different midfield areas. And I can only imagine when you receive possession and that gives you or probably increases your confidence yeah. in terms of yeah. your ability to retain, turn, whatever it might be. Um, so I can see certainly from that perspective that Chelsea's model, um, there are huge benefits to having almost like, almost like purposely trying to make you as, as versatile, as you said, as possible. Um, and, and I can see that obviously the way football is heading being a massive thing that will help a lot of uh, the players coming through now and probably yourself as well in the future. And I think as well, putting my sort of scout hat on now, again, if if you're coming across a player, say a winger who can play on the left and right as well as a number 10, it just makes you more valuable as a, yeah. someone in the squad. Um, and you're, you're seeing it a lot in the Chelsea side today where even Mason can play on the left, he can play in midfield, you've got the likes of Pulisic who can, who's been playing almost as a false nine at times up front, but he can play on the left in the 10 that, you're almost a more valuable player um, in terms of in the manager's eyes as well, because yeah. if, there's, if there's ever that injury um, or whatever that's keeping someone out the side, you've got a player who's equally as good in, in one position and in another who can fill that role. So they're definitely the game, the way the game's going at the moment, um, that is definitely something to look out for that someone who can play multiple positions and I think in terms of recruitment now that, that's something that's being looked at yeah no uh, definitely uh, that's a, a really really good point there um, I think moving on that in terms of, of sort of the, the development side of things I think we've, we've painted a really good picture here of, of how Chelsea tries to as you say create this sort of nice versatile footballer what I'd like to do is just look into I, I think you're, you're sort of you have like an individual action plan in terms of your development traits now, for, for those of people at home, what, what would that look like to you? And in terms of sort of the, the end goal here, is it to develop a player that um, you know Chelsea can use sort of in the first team or Chelsea can use? Or are they trying to just, let's say, make Ruben the best player that he can be rather than maybe the, the type of player that we want to be in the first team at this point in time? So are you kind of being developed to like a mould or are you trying to be moulded into a, a role in the first team or are they just trying to improve you in, in the best way they can so when you graduate the, the academy and leave um, either leave the club or, or progress into the first team that you're just the best version of yourself how, do, how does sort of that individual action plan work and, and what's what's the sort of the philosophy behind it from the club I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said just being the best version of yourself yeah. I think that, that's more so their, what they're wanting to do is, is almost develop you as a player so you can be reach your full potential almost and wherever that takes you because certainly going through academy I don't know what the actual statistics are but maybe if, if we were sat in a room uh, at youth team level, they'd probably have told you only two of you in the room are going to make it into Chelsea's first team. Yeah. So for them, obviously they'd all want you to be developed and play Chelsea's first team. That would be the dream. But I think the, the onus to them is obviously just making you as best a player you can be. And if that is in Chelsea's first team, then that, that's obviously um, a bonus. So just being all round a good person as well as a good player as yeah. well. And that was always part of your individual action plan as well was um, 
if I remembered it, it was, it was four boxes. So you had the gold box, which was the champion box. You had um, the spectator box. I'm thinking the, I'm trying to remember the names of these, but basically these four boxes were different um, mentality traits almost. Um, yeah. Of Are you someone who goes the extra mile in training? Are you someone who turn, who in big games helps your teammates, you get them, like you encourage them, or are you someone who hides in these moments? And you almost had, you were almost given these different scenarios and you, you had to kind of put in which box um, you felt you fell under and, and yeah. you almost kind of ranked in a way. Um, you sat down with the manager and that kind of thing and they, they'd say, oh, uh, you've got these sort of spectator traits, but you've also got these champion traits and we want you to have more and more of these champion traits. So it, it was always a thing as well with your attitude and personality. So just making sure you're that leader or um, person they can count on on the pitch. And I think um, going back to what you're saying about individual action plans too, they were very much player led when it came to. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah. So particularly youth team and under 23s, um, it almost be yourself, yourself going in and saying what you felt you needed to improve. And along with, you had all the support staff there. So you had your physios, um, your coach, the analysis, that they'd all be there. And it'd be almost a group discussion that you're leading saying, I need to get fitter. I need to get quicker. I need to get better at my longer passing. And and almost, it would be a discussion where everyone would end up coming out of a meeting, agreeing, and then you'd produce this individual action plan. But I think they, they really liked the fact that you as a player was the one identifying where you needed to improve. Um, and I guess along with the guidance of the coach, because I could have gone in there and say, I want to improve X, Y, and Z. And then they'd be like, well, <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> yeah, I could have yeah. just made these up or just thought, oh, I sounds I'm good. good. Yeah. I'm good at everything. I, I don't need to improve so <laughs> these three things. So I guess they'd obviously point you in the right direction, but it was always yeah. you who had to come up with, um, what you wanted to improve. And I guess um, that's another way they installed that sort of mentality in, into the players of always wanting to improve and yeah, and go the extra mile. What, what age would you do that from? Because it seems like a really good way of like, A, encouraging like accountability to yourself, but also massively like in terms of like self-discipline as well. So what sort of age would you, would you start doing these sort of self-assessments? The, these were probably uh, when you first, for me, it was when you first, we're in the scholarship program okay. so under 17. I don't know yeah. whether they, it's, it may be sooner now, but my experience of it was when you got into the youth team and then under 23s and stuff, it, it was a lot um, led by yourself. And we'd even, there'd be technical sessions in, put on in afternoons during the week. And sometimes Joe was the manager at the time, the youth team, he wouldn't come out and it'd be, oh, all right, boys, you've got to come up with your own session. And okay. you, you'd always see him watching from the building. Um, so it wasn't a chance that we could so just... It wasn't just like him. a shooting drill for like two hours. It was, he had to actually put a bit of a thought and effort into it. Yeah, but I guess they almost wanted to take a backseat approach and see oh, what, what can the guys come up with um, yeah. who really focusing on what they need to improve or who's just gone out and yeah, had a bit of a jolly up and just smacked a few balls around. I guess it was... <laughs> um, Sunday league oh, style. Yeah, yeah. So... 
it was a good exercise for them, but also us at the same time. And I think even in those moments there is when you felt like, oh, I could kind of do this. I like, I like putting on these sessions. And you that's for me when I started thinking about going into coaching, I thought I'm quite good at putting on these little drills. Yeah. But it was always sort of going off on a tangent there, but it was always oh, um, cool. it was always led by you. And I think Chelsea always encouraged that for you to sort of take take your development in your own hands, not just theirs, because when you then go on to leave the the academy and you go into the real world of football on loan or at a professional club, you just don't get that support or help. It's you are left to your own devices. So um it's up to you what gym work you do or if you do extras after training, no one at for example, Falkirk was saying, oh, Ruben, here, here's what you, you need to get better at. We'll do this session. It was for me to go to them, like, I want to get better at this. So, again, it's all that whole process of then preparing you to what football's like in in the real world almost. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's really, really interesting. I, I think the, the picture you're painting here is that it, it's it's kind of no real kind of fluke that Chelsea are as successful as they are in terms of the academy, sort of the attention to detail, the, I think the ability to encourage like young people to take ownership of their, their kind of futures, you know, in terms of actually say, you know, you can do as much as you want, as little as you want, here's the direction, um, encouraging you to like lead sessions, to lead your own kind of development sessions as well. And it certainly, I think, contrasts a lot with, with what I've heard about other academies. Maybe they've adopted similar practices today, but I think in, in terms of what you're outlining, it, it seems like it's an approach that, that is, I think, really well balanced and probably creates, as you say, you know, not just uh, good footballers, but but good sort of people as well. So before we kind of move on to sort of the latter part of, of the podcast now, if you were sort of summing up your your kind of experience or your sort of your, your kind of Chelsea education to people, would you would you sort of say that it's it's one of the best in, in the country in terms of, of what you could have as a player and not just in terms of your your technical ability as a player, but sort of let's you know maybe think about your personal development, how you are as a, a person, your character, etc. I think for sure the the system Chelsea's got it is, in my opinion, probably the best in the country. And I guess the, the proofs in the pudding of how yeah. well the, the academies do over the years of, of what we've won and how dominant we've been. But also, like you said, you being... Uh, on the other side and a journalist and that kind of thing, seeing how we are in interviews and how we are as people where they've always developed people to be just, just good, wholesome guys at the end yeah. of the day. Um, and I think everything they do is um, meticulous. It's all, all with a vision and a method to get you to that position to, to not just, even if your career's moved elsewhere from football, like, like mine has now, um, it's just put me in a in a good position, and you build good relationships with people, and you, as well as obviously being the best coaches and best support staff, yeah, well, who are going to also get you to that the best place you can be and the the reach your full potential. So, I think in terms of the facilities and staff and. Uh, the detail they go into and the, the way they go about things is, is definitely the the best I've seen in the country. And I think a lot of clubs where Chelsea are the pioneers, a lot of clubs are now kind of jumping on the jumping on the ship and trying to be like Chelsea. I think they've yeah. led the way for a number of years and they're so innovative that it's now they're constantly changing and thinking of new ways to improve and um, be so competitive and be the best academy in the world. And I think they'll be leading the way for many years to come as well. 
Yeah, it, it seems like when you look at someone like Manchester City, they seem to have like almost just like copy and pasted the, the sort of blueprint that, that Chelsea have established here. So it's interesting to see that, that City, you know, operating at the level that they do have actually kind of almost sort of taken the the Chelsea blueprint in terms of, as you say, the, the education, the schooling, the, the development of, of young players, not only from a footballing standpoint, but also in terms of the, the kind of people they're developing as well. And I, I often find that fascinating when you see like other world-class organisations like adopting practices from, from other people as well. Hello, everyone. That concludes the first half of the conversation with Ruben Samut. I hope you have enjoyed listening. Now, in the second half of this conversation, we'll be looking into topics such as whether B-teams are the way forward for Premier League clubs in terms of developing talent, how Chelsea can potentially develop talent better, what they approach to nurturing players between 18 and 23 and trying to bridge that gap into the first team looks like um, among some very, very other fascinating topics as well. So please stay tuned. The second episode will be dropping very, very soon.